Welcome to the show. You're listening to the Hope Radio Podcast, stories, interviews, profiles of courage, triumph, and perseverance. We just call it your daily dose of hope. My name is Sean Davis. I'm your humble host. And joining me, as always, my co-host with the mostest, my wife, she's called... Just Jen. Just (laughs) Jen. And you're along with us as, um, you know, we're doing interviews and stories during this uh, COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, We're just trying to make sure you know you're not alone. You know that your struggles, they don't define you. You will not be overcome by the challenges that you're facing now. There is hope. That's what we want to continue to foster, a message of hope. And I'm excited about today's guest that we've got coming on. I'll, I'll share a little bit more about him in a minute. But Jennifer. Yes. How are you feeling today? I'm doing good. I'm a little tired. We are a little, I'm a little tired too. A little crazy morning. Yeah. Like, so we're sitting in the studio, we're having an interview, and then all of a sudden we hear this crash, boom, bang, like just... And I catch a glimpse of some movement out of our podcast studio. We have some windows there, and I and I just catch this movement. And Jen turns her chair, oh, like, what was that? Like, it was, like, loud. And sure enough, one of our major, major oak trees just gave up the ghost. Just flipping <laughs> fell over about 10 feet up, just cracked, and just went, ah, I'm over this. Yeah. And I'm just glad our car wasn't parked there. Well, I'm glad... I wasn't there. I'm you glad weren't you there. weren't there either. Our kids weren't there. I mean, what a what a what a morning to just come yeah. in and all of a sudden, like, just this tree that's been there forever. Just nah, I'm gonna fall over today. Yeah, that was. Uh, I mean, no wind, no rain. <laughs> yeah, it just all of a sudden just oh, today's my day. No lightning. <laughs> no, it looks like it was struck by lightning. It's all it does. You torn apart and I don't shattered. Know what happened. I don't know. Strangest thing. But I anyway. wanted to hang a swing in that tree can't now yeah good thing i didn't though (laughs) i would have took one swing and it would have felt and and literally where we're at it it covers the whole driveway so good good thing we have another way out because it's a major big tree otherwise we'd be stuck jennifer i know that wasn't very good i know it wasn't uh but hey interesting morning hey always interesting now i now i know what i'm gonna do for the rest of the next couple of days is i'm gonna have to get rid of that tree well firewood firewood leaves work energy we can make oak shelves for our renovation projects yeah i don't know if i'd want an oak shelf out of a tree that just all of a sudden just decided to fall on a wednesday but it looks really good inside really Mm -hmm. it looks shattered to me well i mean it looks like a healthy tree how does a healthy (laughs) tree shatter and just fall on a wednesday just because I don't know. <laughs> Time for our uh, joke telling session. You know, oh. let's let's have a little humor. Okay. I mean, life just gave us humor with this tree falling, but let's let's have a little humor. We, this is our Sean and Jen joke off. We do every morning. So, are you ready? I'm ready. All right. I'm gonna go first this time because I think okay. it puts me at a disadvantage when I go second. So sometimes I think it's an advantage to go first. So okay. I want you to hear my joke first. You ready? Let's do it. I couldn't figure out why the baseball kept getting larger. Then it hit me. I don't get it. You don't get it? (laughs) No. Oh, because it was coming at you. Jennifer, you ruin all the (laughs) jokes. 
I swear. It wasn't funny. I'm going to give myself a fake laugh. <laughs> That's why you always think you win. You just never, ever laugh at my stuff. You got to tell better jokes. No, that was funny. I couldn't figure out why the baseball was getting larger. Then it hit me. That's funny. I don't like it. <laughs> oh, whatever. What's your joke? Okay. You ready? Yeah. What if soy milk is just regular milk introducing itself in Spanish? <laughs> <laughs> That's that, funny. That was actually funny. I will concede the win to you on that one. That one was actually humorous. Did you, did you get that one? No. <laughs> I'm kidding. I yeah, think I it's it. so funny. What if soy milk is just regular milk introducing itself in Spanish? Yeah, the second time it is still funny. Soy milk? <laughs> <laughs> you, you, young lady, you're the one that makes me laugh. <laughs> you're funny. You know how you know you're funny? Because you said I'm funny? Yeah, because <laughs> I said so. All right, so if you like this hilarity, if you like these shenanigans uh, Jen and Sean take part in, we call ourselves Shen, the Shen Show. <laughs> so if you like these uh, shenanigans, you can find us on uh, many, many platforms. First and foremost, you can find us on Hope Radio Podcast on Instagram. So that's our handle on Instagram. It's also our handle on Facebook, Hope Radio Podcast. And if you'd like to get the actual podcast, you have many options. You can go to iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, and you can look at that funny thing that always listens to everything you're saying in your house called Alexa, and you can say, Alexa, play the Hope Radio podcast, and guess what? She'll play the Hope Radio podcast. Yeah, she'll play our last episode, so uh, I've been playing around with that for a little bit. Very cool. And uh, so anyway, I want to introduce you to our guest today. You're going to love this guy. He is um, Matthew Grishman. Mm -hmm. He is a current financial advisor with the Gephardt Group in Sacramento. He is an author. He wrote a book called Financial Sobriety. He also is a podcast host of a show called Financial Sobriety. And I think you are going to be blown away at his story. Let's call it a uh, redemption story. Let's call it a I lost everything, but I'm thriving story. I like that. Yeah, so uh, let's call him. Let's get him on the line. What do you think? I think we should do it. All right. All right, so I'm uh, super excited to talk to Matthew Grishman about his life, about his experience, about his trials and uh, tribulations. This guy is an awesome storyteller. Welcome to the show, Matthew. How are you today? I'm good, Sean. Thanks for having me. Good to see you. <laughs> well, so well, good to be with both you and Jen here today. Yeah, thank, thank you very you. much. I, I appreciate it. I appreciate you coming on and um, sharing your story and being vulnerable. You know, you are a financial advisor. I'm a former financial advisor. And sometimes we experience <laughs> the same types of challenges that uh, other people experience because at our core, we're small business owners. You know, and so sure. in, in that same vein, some of the same challenges that come to any small business owner come to us. And I think one of the reasons that I uh, found you so endearing was a story that you shared about your life that happened a few years ago. I don't remember the exact timing of it, but if you can go through that stage of your life and kind of walk us through you maybe becoming a little bit surprised at your overall financial situation. I think that'd be helpful to uh, some of the people that are listening. 
Sure. I'd love to. It, when I was 33, Sean, my life as I knew it came to a complete end. And, and it was all because of this train wreck of a relationship I had with money. Where it really all started kind of goes back to when I was a teenager, when I was 16, I had this moment where I realized there were really only three things in life I wanted. That first thing was this beautiful girl called Amy. She was the prettiest thing I'd ever seen at 16. I mean, I, I can't wait for you to meet her one day. I mean, she has these incredible eyes and she has this smile that just completely knocked me on my ass. I mean, literally the first time I met her, I, I met her at band camp. I was a new kid in school. I saw her from across the room and I walked over to introduce myself and I said, hi, I'm, I'm, I'm I couldn't, I was vomiting babble. I couldn't even get my own name out. Right. So that, that first thing I wanted was this, this woman, Amy, which to me was love, right? I, I wanted love in my life. The second thing I wanted when I was a kid was money, because if I could go out and make a ton of money, then I could take care of this princess, this girl that I was madly in love with. Every day after school, my first job, I was washing dishes at this little sandwich shop in Schenectady, New York for $3.20 an hour. I still can't smell five-day-old lunch meat, dirty dishwater, without without going right back to that place. I can sympathize with you there because one of the very first jobs I had was at Sizzler, and I was a busboy. Nice. And so the smell of dirty dishes and water and being oh. cleaned, and like you, you said that, and I have not had that vision, but you in a moment took me right back to me being a busboy at Sizzler. So I know what you're talking about. <laughs> Totally. Well, the third thing I wanted was recognition. What I mean by that is I wanted to be Amy's hero. I wanted to be everyone's hero, just the, the way my dad was my hero. And I so wanted to be like him so that I could be Amy's hero. And if Amy and the whole world told me I was awesome, then I'd actually believe it. And I could feel good about the guy looking back at me in the mirror. I think you and I are brothers from another mother, you know, because that, that, that was in a nutshell, that was me, you know, Jen, Jen and I have been together for, we'll celebrate our 26th wedding anniversary this year. And we dated for five years before wow. that. So we've been together for 31 years. I met her when I was 18 and she was 15 and she will tell you that I fell in love quick. I mean, within the third day I was sending her what? Balloons that said, I love you very much. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. I wanted love. I, I wanted my independence with money. And I am somebody that used to thrive with recognition. I'm, I'm a recovering narcissist now, <laughs> but I used to thrive nice. at recognition. Yeah. So I, I hear you. Oh, you, yeah. you, you and I are uh, brothers from another mother. Absolutely. So flash forward from those teenage years to the middle of July 2005. Now I'm 33 years old and I've got all three, three of those things. I was at the absolute top of the financial food chain. It's a great morning. I'm sitting in my bathroom. I'm waiting for a town car to take me to the airport because I'm the man. <laughs> and I'm scheduled at this point to give a speech in front of a thousand financial advisors at the San Diego Convention Center. I'm the rock star. So here I am. I take one last look at myself in the bathroom mirror. I've got my nice new three-button Hickey Freeman suit on. I've got my white French cuff shirt. I've got my perfect half Windsor knot on my purple Talbot tie. I mean, damn, I was looking good. Amy was somewhere back there in the bedroom. You know, the master bedroom is attached to the bathroom. And I think Miles and Lucas, my boys, who were five and two at the time, were somewhere in the house, probably watching Wiggles. I was so absorbed with 
that gorgeous human in the mirror that I couldn't even be bothered with where the rest of my family was at the time. And I remember Amy, she yelled in to me, Hey, hey, Matthew, did you did you remember to take out some cash for your trip and also for me? Because I want to take the kids to Sunsplash when you're gone and I need cash to get in. Shit. I totally forgot to do that. Sorry, honey. Uh, you know, you'll you'll have to hit the ATM on your way out. Right. I mean, I was totally obsessed with myself and not thinking about what I needed to do for her. But I figured I'd do her a solid and just log on to the bank's website. You know, this was pre-iPhone, so I actually had to fire up my laptop to do this. And so I went typing on the bank's website. Wait, what? Minus 210 bucks? I'm overdrawn? How's that possible? I mean, there was 50,000 bucks in the checking account a week ago. This has got to be a stupid mistake by the bank. I don't have time to deal with this right now. I'll just do a cash advance. Wait a minute. My Chase Visa's maxed out? All right, that's okay. We'll do a cash advance on the Wells Fargo card. Uh-oh. Wells Fargo card's maxed out. Okay, uh, one more Visa card. Come on, baby. Come on, baby. Please be there for daddy. Please be there. Oh, my God. Jen, Sean, this is when I walk into the room from the bathroom into the bedroom, and now I've got to tell the love of my life, honey, we're completely broke. I mean, there, there was something in me that started to recognize, wait a minute, this isn't a bank mistake. This is real. When I first heard you tell this story, the thing that I had thought had happened was that you were somehow the victim of identity theft, something nefarious had happened that's what I thought, but to hear you tell it that that was not the case, that was right. what was really kind of impactful to me. I wasn't the victim of somebody else's thievery. I was the victim of my own stupid, bad, horrible choices with money. I mean, everything that you just described kind of happened, only it was because of my own doing. It, 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 it wasn't because of somebody else. And it was at that moment that I started having the realization where I started thinking to myself, oh, my God, what did you do? I mean, to look in Amy's eyes. So this is the first time since I had known her that I saw this kind of fear in her eyes. And, I mean, the way her hands started to shake and the tears were rolling down her face, I just, I'd never seen her look that scared in my life. And I knew that this was something that I had done, that we had done. I was starting to feel the blame and I didn't know what to do at that point. I didn't know what to say. All I could think was I got to get out of here so I can figure something out. And that's what I did. And I left. Walk us through exactly what happened because I remember you telling me that you'd, you'd just gotten the largest commission check you'd ever got like a few weeks yep. before or a week before. It was like 50 grand, you know, it hits your account. So how do you go from getting that to having nothing? Walk, walk us through that. You know, it really all started from that time that I was 16 with this idea in my head that if I could spend my whole life going after money, making as much money as I possibly could, then I could take care of my people. And, and then if I could do that for my people and they'd think I was their hero because of doing it, I'd feel good about myself. And I remember Amy and I always used to talk about if we could only make a little bit more money, right? We'd have a little bit of breathing room. And every time we made a little bit more money, we would get that breathing room. It would let us go out to dinner. It would let us have more money in our pockets. 
But you know what I wasn't doing with every little pay raise? I wasn't saving it. I wasn't doing something smart with it. I was spending it. And every time my paycheck would go up a little bit, I would find another thing, another gizmoch, another something really cool that I needed to have to make myself or someone I loved more comfortable. By the time I had gotten to where I was making some real money, Sean, that, that what I like to call lifestyle inflation had completely blown me up. What, what I mean by lifestyle inflation is that every time I made a little bit more money, I expanded my lifestyle. I spent more money. And as I made a little bit more money, it got upgraded a little more. We would go from flying coach to flying first class. We would go from driving Hondas and Toyotas to driving Audis and BMWs. So as I continued to make more money, it felt good to me to buy stuff for other people. And what I didn't even realize was going on was every time I started feeling anxious or sad or scared or angry, I would medicate myself by an impulsive purchase, right? I mean, these were the decisions that I was making once I ran out of money. Once, once I was at this point in my life where I didn't have money to make myself feel better, I started putting other stuff in my body. Yeah. I started eating. I started drinking, right? I started doing other things just for the sake of making me feel better whenever I was irritable, restless, agitated, sad, scared, anxious, you name it. Whenever I had a feeling I didn't like, the first go-to was, let me go buy myself something. That'll make me feel better. It was an awful cycle that went on for years. Jen and I went through that ourselves. You know, for me, I I had to really do some work myself and look back because in 2008 and 2009, that was kind of a reckoning for us financially. I mean, not only did GM sure. go bankrupt at that time, but Jen and I on a personal level did as well. And it just really, as a financial advisor, you know, you, you sit back and go, okay, I'm a financial advisor that just went bankrupt in 2008, 2009. The, the only way I made that sound yeah. better or feel better to myself was the fact that GM had also in that same year gone bankrupt. But, you know, their reasoning for the bankruptcy was was not the same as mine. And I think that I had, I had that lifestyle creep myself. I think that as yeah. a kid, I was told by a stepfather that I would never be successful. I would never amount to anything. I wasn't good for anything. And I think those words when you're, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old, those, those words stay with you. So I was on a mission sure. to prove this man, this stepfather of mine wrong. So I, I coveted money because I felt like that was my outward version of success. I'm going to prove you wrong. You said I was never going to be successful. Sure. I'm going to go out and try to make as much money as I can possibly make. And then along with that, you want to be successful. So you know, start wearing the, the yeah. nicer shoes and the, and the suits and the watches and the cars and the house and you know, all that other stuff, because that's what success is supposed to look like. So for me, you oh, know, sure. I, I went through seven years of counseling uh, after 2008, 2009. You know, I wanted to get at the root of what was, you know, driving some of those those fallacies that I was adhering to. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it sounds like you did a lot of that work yourself. And thankfully, I've got a just an awesome wife, somebody I fell in love with first time I saw her. <laughs> And uh, she stuck along with me and she said to me, you know, I don't care. We can live in a box and, you know, as long as we're together, it's, it's, it's fine. So thankfully she gave me 
that. I always knew that her love wasn't conditioned on on things. But I'm curious how Amy responded to you when she was delivered kind of the earth shattering news. Because if she's like Jen, Jen, Jen stayed out of the finances. Like she just didn't. She didn't. Yeah. You know that was not her thing. I mean, I'm 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 the guy. Yeah. I'm the man. I'm the breadwinner. I'm the financial advisor. My job is the finances. So you know, how did Amy respond when you brought that news to her? Well, first, thank you for sharing that similar experience that you went through in 08 and 09. That doesn't sound like that could have been easy for the both of you. That had to be really hard. So thanks for sharing that. Much like you and Jen, uh, I've been the breadwinner for most of the time that we've been together, although for, for a short time when we were living in New York and just getting started, she was the primary breadwinner and was really responsible for managing all of our finances. I've always had to deal with the, with the self-hatred and the self-loathing of blaming myself for doing this to Amy, her initial reaction, you know, in, in 2005, when, when this had happened was, was shock and fear. What was amazing was, was after I had left the home and, you know, I left the house and, and went for a drive and had all sorts of crazy thoughts in, in my head going on. A, a lot of self-talk, a lot of, you know, what did you do to the point where, I found myself driving up Highway 65, which is this, this long, straight highway that goes on for days north of our house here. And as I was driving up Highway 65, my, my head just wouldn't stop screaming at me. God, you're such a piece of shit. I can't believe what you just did to Amy and what you did to your boys. And I, I looked up in my rearview mirror, and all I could see, looking back at me at that point, was my $4 million company paid life insurance policy. And the thought came into my mind that maybe Amy and the boys would be better off with that than with this. And as my eyes came down from the rearview mirror back into my windshield, I saw a big semi truck coming my way about a mile up the road. And the thought hit me. All I've got to do is turn my wheel a little to the left and this all goes away. And of course, the truck zipped by and it didn't happen. And I couldn't even get that right. Let me stop you right there just for a second. I want to unpack that moment because I know how you were feeling. For me, it wasn't Highway 65. It was the Forest Hill Bridge. That bridge uh-huh. is 800 feet tall. It is yep. the largest bridge in California. It's the third largest yep. bridge in the nation. And it was calling my name. At that time, I just felt like a failure. I felt like there was nothing that I could do to recover. I felt like my family would be far better if I, off if I was not here. I had a large life insurance policy just like you. I, I had started my career at New York Life, and so I had purchased a large amount of insurance, and I thought, you know, all, it, all I'd have to do... You know, just one little swing of the leg over, just jump off that bridge and then everything is better. And and I can't tell you that wasn't a strong pull, you know, like in those moments, you just feel like, how am I ever going to get out of this situation? You know, I think that there's a lot of people right now uh, in this present situation feeling the effects of you know, the stay-at-home orders, maybe people have lost jobs, maybe people have had hours cut, maybe people are contemplating, are they going to be able to keep their house? You know, like the financial ruin is extremely powerful. It's dreadful. It can cause you to not want to be here any longer. And and so I don't want to discount that at all. But I will tell you that I'm so glad I didn't, as you were very glad yourself. I'm, I'm sure of not wanting to meet the front end of that Mack truck that was driving on the other side of Highway 65. 
I mean, at the, at the time, Sean, I, I really, I wanted to, I, there was no answer. There was no way out. And thank God I didn't. I, and I don't remember how long I drove for. I just remember it was dark when I got home that night and there was Amy and the boys sitting on the chair in my family room in tears, totally wondering where I went, whether I was okay. And despite her disappointment, her fear, Amy's reaction was nothing short of a miracle. Here was this woman in my life who had a kind of sort of plan, I like to call it. She, you know, she, she said to me, this is what we're going to do. Okay, we're out of money. We don't have any purchasing power. I mean, literally, we, we don't have $10 to cover a copay at the doctor if one of the kids gets sick. So, so here's what we're going to do. We are going to lock everything down. We're going to live on what we have in our cabinets, what we have in our pantry, what we have in our refrigerator. You get paid in three more weeks. We're not going to go anywhere. We're not going to do anything. We're going to hunker down. And somehow between now and the time you get a paycheck, we're going to figure out what went wrong and how we need to fix this going forward. Amy was thinking about what we need to do from a triage perspective, right? How, how do we stop the bleeding? How do we, how do we at least stabilize the patient so that we can then figure out ways to fix this going forward? She is an incredible human being, and, and I'm just I'm so grateful uh, that this woman has stayed with me. She's just she's amazing. You and I share that in common too. Like I sit with my beautiful wife, and I'm glad she stayed with me all these years because we would be lesser men without them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, you had mentioned something in your story about what happened as a kid and why you felt like maybe you had this relentless pursuit to go out and show the world that you were the man. And it's interesting because I, I get asked a lot, you know, what, first of all, why at 16 do you think you had this insatiable desire to go make a whole bunch of money? And, and why did that plague you all these years and the lifestyle creep, as you put it, I, I like to call it lifestyle inflation, right? What, why did all these things happen? What, what happened to you as a kid? And, and much like your story as a kid, when I was 10 years old, I was bullied for being different. I was a Jewish kid living in upstate New York in a town that had never seen a Jewish kid before. Two kids walked up to me on the playground one day. One kid named Jerry rubbed my forehead and said to me, hey, Jew boy, where's your horns? I heard Jews have horns. I had never heard that before. To this day, I still don't fully understand what that means, although I've been told a couple times. But what I noticed was all these kids were laughing at me, and I didn't like it. And it was literally at that moment in my life that I swore I was never going to let another kid know who I truly was and make myself vulnerable like that. There was no way anybody's going to know that I'm some Jewish kid from the New York metro market with educated parents. I'm going to make up stories of who I am. I'm going to put a mask on and I'm going to tell the world who I want the world to see. I don't think I did that consciously. I think there was some subconscious, but I just knew I didn't want to feel that way anymore. And from that point forward, very little truth ever came out of my mouth telling stories and making myself feel like I was the man and I was someone that everybody could love was what got my socks rolling up and down from the time I was a little kid. And once that first paycheck hit my hand at 16, oh my gosh, that, that felt great because that just made my ability to go out and tell my stories about being the man 
even that much easier to do. Yeah, it was the, it was the fuel. And it was the reward. It was the it was the absolutely. confirmation. You know, I, I can sympathize with you too. And I think one of the commonalities for Jen and I between one another is that we had a similar upbringing the two of us, and it's not dissimilar to yours. Ours was a story of always being the new kid. Like in the first five grades of school I had, I don't think I completed a full year of school at a specific same school. So in other words, I was always, we were always moving. My stepfather at the time was a laborer and uh, he worked at sawmills. So when he got laid off or whatever, you know, we were on to the, to the next town. And so I left friends, I left, you know, and, and then as the new kid, you know, you're never in a confident position. You're always feeling insecure. You're now trying to regrow a friend group. And so I think that I, I felt that myself, you know, physically felt less than because I was always being put in a situation where I couldn't help but feel less than because of the circumstance. And, and Jen had a similar upbringing herself too. So, you know, uh, we, we can empathize with you for sure. So I I know that we're going to have some people that are super curious about how you dug yourself out of the situation that you found yourself in in 2005. So maybe you can walk us through the the next year or two and how you rebuilt yourself, because I think people are going to want to rest on the idea that it is possible that you can rebuild yourself after financial devastation. So just walk us through that next six months, year, two years. Yes, absolutely. And let me start by saying this. Yes, you can. You absolutely can. I was not only in debt, but I literally had no purchasing power. I didn't have the ability to buy groceries, put gas in my car, take my kids to the doctor. That's how broke we were. We didn't know how we were going to make our mortgage payments the next month. What started happening in the beginning, right, when, when Amy and I initially had this triage plan of just locking everything down, the very first thing we did was we took an inventory of what we actually did have, right? What do we have in the house and how long do we have in the house, right? And, and just doing that inventory and getting clear on that at least helped us come up with a triage plan. But I'll tell you, those first couple of weeks, they were hard, guys. They were really hard because I'd get up, I'd, I'd go into the bathroom to brush my teeth and I would look at myself in the mirror with such disdain. And again, all I could see looking back at me for the next couple of weeks was that life insurance policy and wondering if I should drive up to the Forest Hill Bridge the way you talked about. And what was gnawing at me was the fact that Amy and I had gotten ourselves into this mess. And at first, I was hell-bent on believing that we would get ourselves out of this mess, which was some pretty insane thinking if you think about it. I mean, at this point, I had been in charge of all the financial decisions we were making and it gotten us here. How narcissistic was it of me to think that I would be able to control us getting out of this mess? And what I realized was the very first thing I had to do was get help. But who the heck can I tell this to? It would destroy my career, my entire reputation. I don't have my own shit together. How could I possibly ask anyone for help? But yet there was one man, a person, he was a financial advisor. I had just met him about a month before this had all happened. He was a financial advisor. He had just opened up Gebhardt Group. He was working at Merrill Lynch and Smith Barney at the beginning of his career, kind of getting classically trained as a big Wall Street broker. And he always wanted something different for his clients. And so he decided to open up Gebhardt Group, open up his own firm where he could have the experience that he wanted to with his clients that was based more on planning their lives and, and less on just 
you know, dollars and percentages and more about the people. And that's right when I met the guy. And there was something in me that said it was okay to call him. So I called him and I asked him if I could come down and see him and spend some time talking with him. Originally, when all of this had happened to you, um, I'm guessing you were a wholesaler. You you worked for a yeah. bigger f- company that distributed and sold products to financial advisors for their clients. You weren't at that time exactly. a practicing financial advisor yourself. Correct. I, so I had started in the business with a, with a firm called AG Edwards back in 1995, where I was a stockbroker. Gordon Gecko, the, the, the infamous villain from the movie Wall Street, was my hero. <laughs> I wanted to dial the phone 300 times a day and make my million. And boy, did that suck. So I, I quickly transitioned to the institutional side of our industry, where exactly as you described, I worked for the big product manufacturer. I worked for the firms that built the investments that people stick their retirement savings in. So Jim was yes. expecting you to arrive on his doorstep to talk to him about products that you felt he might be able to distribute and or offer to his clients. He was not expecting you to lay out the carnage that you had just gone through personally. <laughs> Bingo. The center of the bullseye. That's exactly right. And so when I showed up, the first thing out of his mouth was, what's up? And I told him what was up. And I told him the story that I just told you and Jen about what happened in my home about a week earlier. So I, I kind of like covered up after I told him the story and I was waiting for him to just turn his collar around and start wagging his finger at me about all the shit I could have, should have, would have done with my money. <laughs> and it's not what I got from him. What I got from him was a lot of empathy and a lot of compassion. It was amazing. He, he looked at me after I told him the story I just told you and Jen, and he said to me, my gosh, that had to be hard. No judgment. You know, no judgment. No admonishing you. None of that kind of stuff. He just no sat lecture. there and just Nothing. sat beside you and said that had to be tough. He said, like he was empathetic. And then what he said next completely changed my life. He said to me, you know, you were really close with all of this. Well, what do you mean? Well, it, it sounds like you chased money for your people to feel good about yourself. Maybe if we just kind of reverse the order of those three things, things will come out differently next time. And I just kind of sat there. And then he said to me, you know, this didn't happen to you. This happened for you. Wait, what? How did this happen for me? This is the most uncomfortable thing I've ever experienced in my life. I don't know that I even want to be alive anymore. How did this happen for me? Now, I stand here 15 years later, very clear on how this happened for me. You know, in retrospect, some of the most challenging times in our lives that any of us have ever gone through, in the moment, it seems like the worst thing that you could ever deal with. But once you get distance from it, at some point, especially if you do the work, it becomes a moment that you reflect back on and go, it was a blessing in disguise. It really was. You know, it was something that did happen for me. It didn't happen to me. It was a gift. It was a blessing. It was an opportunity to grow. It was an opportunity to learn. But it's hard to see that when you're dealing with nothing but but hemorrhaging and carnage and all the other side effects of those decisions kind of coming to a head. I had to have all of my money removed from me for me to get the very important lesson that my true wealth 
had very little to do with how much money I made. I needed all of that to go away for me to have the gift of realizing what true wealth is truly all about. And that's really what Jim was trying to help me figure out. What he was trying to help me figure out was you, you've got these three incredible relationships in your life. You've got this relationship with money, but you've also got relationship with people and you've got a relationship with yourself. But what if instead of that relationship with money being the most important of the three, we go the other way with it. And let's help you get a healthy relationship with yourself first so that then you can go out and have healthy relationships with your people. And if you get those first two relationships right, that third relationship you have with money gets a lot simpler. That was the beginning of what I had to do to really realize why this happened for me. The first step was realizing that I was using money as a way to deal with how I looked in the mirror and saw that guy looking back at me with disdain. I didn't like myself. I didn't feel good about myself. And as a result, I went out and, and had this completely dysfunctional relationship with money. And as much as I thought that what I was doing with money was actually helping my people, it wound up hurting all of the most important relationships in my life and ultimately left me feeling like crap about myself, really feeling guilty, shame, disgust, wanting to end my life. Now, do you look back on the financial uh, challenges that you went through and now consider that to be a blessing in disguise? Absolutely. Well, because what it forced me to do, Sean, was it forced me to get really clear on the things, the people, the places, and the experiences that actually at a very core values-based level meant the most to me. And what I learned how to do going through this process of financial sobriety was how to align my financial resources with those core people, places, and experiences that mean the most to me. So every decision I've made for the most part, and, and, and I don't do this perfectly, I've fallen off the, the spendthrift wagon plenty of times in the last 15 years, but I have a process for forgiving myself over that and moving forward and making better choices. But what I do live with most every day is in this alignment where all of my money decisions have, have a, a checks and balances built in. What, what I mean by that is, is all of my money decisions are based on the people, places, and experiences now that mean the most to me. And so I can make decisions about whether I squander money on meaningless stuff or not. I have tools that help me deal with impulse purchases, what I call the 10-10-10 principle. So I've, I've got this little bell that goes off in my head when I'm about to buy something I know I don't need. And it's like these three words, 10-10-10, just come screaming into my head. The first 10 is a pause mechanism. Just pause for 10 minutes. Don't buy it for 10 minutes. Because what I've learned is that when I have this impulse to make a purchase to help me feel better, if I give it 10 minutes, whatever negative emotion I'm feeling that's causing me to want to make that purchase, generally, if I give it 10 minutes, that emotion goes away. You have to practice that, right? For, for me, it's not something I did perfectly. But when I, when I became aware of how impulse purchases were damaging my relationship with money, I had to come up with something that I could practice on a regular basis. And over time, I've gotten better with it. The amount of impulse purchases I've had in my life has dropped to almost zero. It still happens, but I've been able to measure that progress. Sure, I'd love to be in a place where it never happens again. When I look in arrears at the progress that I've made, that always leaves me feeling better. 
I think that's awesome. I think that's great to have that structure. I think it's great to have a system, something that you can count on when you're in that vulnerable position where you feel like you're making more of an emotional decision than a than a well thought out cognitive financial decision, you know? And so I think that's that's sure. excellent advice. I I have a question for you, knowing that there's there's people right now that are going to go through what you went through and what I went through. I just there's just no way to not expect that that's going to happen. There're going to be people that are going to find themselves in a situation where uh, they're at the financial bottom of their life. And so, what would you say to Matthew 15 years ago as he jumps in his car about to drive off from his family after? you know, acknowledging to them that you're broke in essence, what would you say to that guy now with 15 years worth of experience behind him and everything that you've accomplished since then? You're not alone. Help is out there. You don't have to do this alone. You don't have to figure this out on your own. We are all part of the same tribe. We all feel the same feelings. We all want for the same kinds of happiness in life. And there is somebody out there that can help you. Be willing to be a a little bit vulnerable. What blows me away, and we, we just recorded this, Sean, on, on our uh, most recent podcast episode that, that's going to drop uh, later this week. The name of the podcast uh, is Financial Sobriety, and it's available on every major uh, podcast platform. It's also the same name of the book that I wrote called Financial Sobriety, Rebuilding Your Relationship with Money One Step at a Time. One, one of the things we talked about this week in the episode was this idea of vulnerability and how attractive real is to us. There is such an obsession in our country with reality TV because I think so many people are attracted to real, not scripted. They're attracted to people who are willing to be real and and show the world all their work. This is what a real person looks like. Yet, as people, we struggle with being vulnerable. We struggle with telling our truth to people. There was nothing harder in my life that I had to do than drive down to Jim's office and tell this complete stranger all of my dirty laundry. And I'm so glad that I did. So my my first suggestion to anybody who is where I was is to be vulnerable, to be willing to go talk to somebody about how you're feeling. And, And I would suggest that people be willing to go deep, right? Not just skin deep, but let's get down to the bone. It's okay to share that with people especially within your inner circle of people. I'm struggling with money. I need help. Do you know somebody that I could go talk to? I know that doesn't sound very difficult to do. It amazes me at how hard that was for me to do, to actually ask somebody for help. But that was the first thing that I needed to do because there was no way that my behaviors that got me in the mess were going to be the same behaviors that were going to get me out of the mess. I needed somebody who could be a blind spotter for me. Right, Because this is my money. I'm too close to it. I'm too emotional with it. I need somebody who's not emotionally attached to my relationship with money to help be my blind spotter, to help me see what I'm not seeing. And I have to be open and willing to hear the truth from that person to be able to start changing my behaviors going forward. But that person is there. They exist. It just requires a little bit of footwork to get out there and find them. I think that you and I would both agree on this next point that this is but a season it is not forever it and it's a very short period of time from the point that you feel like nothing is going to work and there's 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 no point in continuing on and you know should I even be here and my family would be better off you know from the point that that kind of emotion floods you 
to the point where you you really start taking incremental steps to dig yourself out of the hole that you've gotten yourself into is not very long. So take heart in the fact that it is just a season. It will pass. It's not forever. It does not define you. You can learn from it. You can grow from it. And ultimately, you can come out on the other side and thrive. It can literally mean yep. that you are coming into a an abundant season, whether that's an abundant season of love or family or money or business or whatever. That's what I experienced. That's what Jen and I experienced coming out of our 2008, 2009 Absolutely. was just um, once we got ourselves right, once I got myself right and really started to focus on, on positive, uplifting, progress, incremental, even if it's just small, forward steps, then I felt like, okay, I do have the power to get out of this. I do have the power to overcome this. This, this is something that's in my control. That hope meant everything that that's what was that's what prevented me from ultimately wanting to uh you know figure out exactly how tall the tallest bridge in california was you're absolutely spot on with that sean i i couldn't agree more it, it took me six years six years from being completely broke to a point where with some intentional behaviors with my money making sure that all of my intentional behaviors with my money were aligned with the people, places, and things that really meant the most to me. By being very intentional for the next six years, I got to a point where not only was I able to get myself out of debt, but I was able to put enough money away in the bank that I could actually walk away from my nice, comfortable position as a wholesaler in the financial services world to accept Jim's invitation to come be part of Gebhardt Group not only as an advisor, but as an owner in the firm. So it, it, it absolutely is a temporary state of being. Everything is a temporary state of being. How I feel right now, the happiness that I'm feeling right now being here with you and Jen is a temporary state of being. So is all the sadness I'm going to feel. So is all of the anxiety I'm going to have in my life. These are all temporary things that we experience that as long as we can stay two inches in front of our nose, putting one step in front of the other and every once in a while looking over my shoulder at where I was and taking a little bit of pride and a little bit of satisfaction and how far I had come with each step. And I kept doing that every day, day in and day out. And it took us six, what felt to be long years in hindsight, very short years to not only get our relationship with money, right, but to see a whole new purpose and direction for my life show up. I would have never imagined in a million years that I would be a financial advisor tasked with helping people navigate some of the most challenging transitions life can throw at us, whether they're planned or unplanned, working side by side with the guy who saved my ass doing for other people what he helped do for me. I think that's a story of redemption so right there. Blessed. Yeah, a story of redemption, a story of uh, perseverance, story of courage and hope. You know, I, I love every aspect about what you've just shared. I do I do think that you just need to take heart that this too shall pass. And it is just but a moment in your life. It's a chapter in your life. It does not define you. And whatever comes next nope. could be the best thing that has ever happened in your life, but maybe it wouldn't have come to you had you not gone through what you're going through now. What I can tell you is I've never felt wealthier in my life than I do today. 
I don't make nearly the money I used to make. I don't have nearly the amount of savings I used to have. But you know what I do have? I have incredible clarity on these three significant relationships in my life. And they're in alignment with one another. And the fact that those three relationships are in alignment with one another, supporting one another, leaves me this feeling of incredible wealth. I am very clear on the people, the places, and the experiences that mean the most to me. And I find that very rarely do I squander money anymore on meaningless stuff just to make me happy. I'm really happy to hear that. And and honestly, you know, just having uh, developed our our friendship just literally in the last couple of weeks, you know, I I would just say I I do feel like you're a uh, brother from another mother. You know, I just really feel that like there's a lot of commonality between us. And uh, a lot of shared experiences that I think that uh, provide for that commonality. But, you know, I do appreciate your story. I appreciate you being vulnerable. It's not easy. I know it's not easy to share that, you know, you experienced this or that you lost that or you had this financial setback or whatever. It just as men, I think that it's hard for us to uh, talk about that. But I think it's extremely important that you do. And I think that people should uh, have someone that they can talk to. And on that level, I'm sure somebody that's listening, we do get some uh, local, obviously, in the Sacramento area listeners, if someone wanted to connect with you on a professional level, because they like what you're saying, they like what you're about, you know, how would they do so you work with the Gephardt group? Is that right? And how would they find you? Yeah, so we, there's a couple of different ways we work together. Uh, we have a wonderful uh, private practice called uh, Gebhardt Group. People can uh, visit our website at gebhardtgroupinc.com. Uh, for people who are, are really kind of interested in hearing more about the story and kind of connecting on this level of financial sobriety, there's a number of ways to connect. We've got a wonderful website called yourfinancialsobriety.com. whole bunch of resources on just if, if you're at that place where your back's up against the wall and you don't know what to do next, uh, if you don't have somebody to talk to, please go to our website, links to the podcast, links to my book, Financial Sobriety are all there. Uh, you can connect with me on social media, on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, all under my name, Matthew Grishman. Uh, and you can also send me an email at info at yourfinancialsobriety.com. And uh, I would love, love, love to hear. I love hearing people's stories. I mean, that's one of the things I'm trying to, to create is a safe environment for people to feel like they can tell their truth and tell their story when it comes to their relationship with money and where they've struggled with it. So whether it's via an email or through social media, please reach out to me and, and tell us your story. I'd love to hear it. Thank you so much, Matthew. I, I really appreciate you coming online and uh, talking with us and sharing your truth and your story and your life experiences, I'm, I'm sure that it's going to be impactful to people that listen. It certainly has been impactful to me, and, and I just appreciate your vulnerability. Thank you so much. Well, I, I appreciate it, Sean. And, the, you know, the last thing I'll, I'll say is, you know, th- this is a, a pretty big mission that Jim and I are on now, this idea of bringing financial sobriety to the world. It's critically important. We're trying to be the most disruptive money influencers of our time. Because if you really just picture it for a moment, think about our world today and where we're all, where we are. And if you just think about what this world would look like if everybody around us had a little bit more financial sobriety in their life, right? I mean, half a million people sleeping on the streets would go away if everybody lived with a little more financial sobriety. The trillions of dollars worth of debt we have in this country, both at a government, business, and individual level, would all go away if we all had a little more financial sobriety. Millions and millions of tons of plastic floating in our oceans would go away 
if we all had a little more financial sobriety. The mission's huge, and I invite your listeners to please become part of it with us. I love your mission, mm-hmm. and I, I couldn't agree with you more. If you believe that you can change the world, mm-hmm. that's the first step yes. yeah. in changing the world. And so um, I love your mission. And I I do agree. I think all of those uh, world problems could be solved if people were much more attuned to where they are, what they have, what they can give, where they're going. And so thank you. Thank you for that wisdom. Thank you for those wise words. And thank you for your time coming on our podcast today. I appreciate it. You are both incredibly welcome. So Jen, what did you think of our interview with Matthew? Man, that guy is an awesome, awesome storyteller. He really is. I just was honestly just sitting here just listening to a story because I was so fascinated by him speaking it. Like I could see the closet. I could Mm -hmm. see the look on his face. I could see him driving driving down Highway 65 contemplating his life and or death and uh, just riveting. Yeah. You know, like he's really got a gift of being able to to tell good stories. Like I, think I that, was captivated. I was just like, tell me more. Like I just wanted to hear. Yeah. But I think the message of, you know, you, you can overcome like it, yeah. it, it. I think there's several messages there. Number one, like when we make decisions that are not good decisions for ourselves and we repeatedly make those decisions, you, you should really look inward and find out what's the root cause of that. Mm-hmm. I think there was some commonality between he and I in that regard. Like right. I look back at my own decisions and go, what was driving that? And so he had to figure out what was, what was driving that. But I think ultimately sharing his story is so awesome because I think there's going to be other people right now in this current environment going through some of that financial hardship, that devastation, right. maybe the surprise. I mean, because overnight, everything's different. Mm-hmm. You know, imagine you're a restaurant owner and all of a sudden, you, you know, you've still got the lease you got to pay. You still got equipment. You still got obligations that you had. You still have a mortgage and yet you're shut down right now for how long? When, yeah. When's it going to end? So I do fear that there's a lot of people that are, are going to come face to face with some sort of financial reckoning. But his story is one of hope because you can come out of it. It is just but a season. It's not going to last forever. Yeah, and he's written that book, so I think we need to get everyone to get that book. Financial Sobriety, yes. Financial Sobriety, and and, uh, also connect with him on the podcast. I think it'd be great to hear some of the Mm -hmm. stories, because he shared with us offline that really the podcast is meant for people that are in a situation where maybe they can't even work with a financial advisor. I mean, it takes money to work with a financial Mm -hmm. advisor, but how do you get to the point where you have money to do that? Right. You know, well, these are, these are lessons. These are ideas. These are thoughts. The 10, 10, 10, you know, a perfect example of that, you know, if you want to be able to save more money, then, you know, saving a dollar is actually better than spending a dollar and certainly moves you. And I'm going to teach the boys the 10, 10, 10. Cause you know, yeah, well they always want everything, you know, like kids want things. Yeah. And so specifically I would say Madden would come in and he'd want something. <laughs> I'm just going to, I'm going, I'm going to teach him about the 10, it's a 10, new, 10, new skin on, uh, on some Fortnite or Fortnite battle game or whatever. Yeah. It's 20 bucks, dad. I promise you, I won't, I won't ask you again for another 45 days. <laughs> yeah. So and he's, he's pretty good about his promises, but yeah. yeah, like that kid will spend money on skins and guns and whatever. Skins are like outfits for these characters that you don't even really get to keep. Skins are a mechanism for Microsoft to make additional money in a fake world that is a battlefield on, it's just yeah. crazy. 10, 10, 10 people. <laughs> yeah, so he'd, he'd be a good one to teach the yeah. 10, 10, 10 too. Uh, but an awesome story. I'm so happy that yeah. he came on and look forward to maintaining that connection right. with him. And he also mentioned that he has some people that he think would be great guests to come mm-hmm. on the show. So super excited for, for that to happen as yeah, well. Yeah, and I'm happy that he's doing well and he came out of that and, yeah. you know. 
And uh, if you're listening, if you like the show, please like and subscribe. Go to iTunes, uh, like our podcast, subscribe to it. You'll get the downloads or the notifications that we've got a new one. We're trying to do this every single day, do a podcast a day during the pandemic. So you can always find us on SoundCloud. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, all under Hope Radio Podcast. And if you'd be so kind, if you liked it, Leave us a review on iTunes. That's how we rise in the charts. That's mm-hmm. how we rise in their ranking. So please leave us a review if you can. A five-star review. Five-star, <laughs> all the best. Superstar. These, these two kids are awesome. <laughs> Do I look like a kid? I got a billy goat gray hair on my chin. Do I yeah, look like a kid? a big kid. Oh, geez. <laughs> so we've come to that point in the podcast where I want to leave you with our thought of the day, my thought of the day, a quote from somebody that I want to share with you. You ready? I'm ready. Hope can be a powerful force. Maybe there's no actual magic in it, but when you know what you hope for most and hold it like a light within you, you can make things happen almost like magic. That's from Lainey Taylor. I like magic and hope. I knew you would like that quote. <laughs> I knew you would. So what do you say, kid? Should we do this again another day? Yeah, let's do it another day. Maybe tomorrow? Tomorrow sounds great.